In Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 56, we're looking at Jesus' crucifixion, and we're really looking at what it means to see the word of God fulfilled, fulfilling the word of God. Let's start to read Luke 23, 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, that's Calvary in Latin and Golgotha in Hebrew, they came to this place called the skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one yet had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Today and for the next two Sundays, we're going to be considering the Word of God. And when I say Word of God, what I'm primarily speaking about is the 66 books of the Bible, 
the canon of Scripture. The word of the Lord, the word of God, can, come, can also come to us through God directly speaking to us. What the Bible would refer to or what we can recognize as that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. The Lord could speak to us through dreams and visions, through prophecy, through the wisdom and counsel of others, through preaching and teaching, through reading and study, through song and worship, through signs and wonders. However, because of the nature of the communicated, the written word that we have, that has been breathed, inspired by God for our instruction, for our reproof, for our correction, for our training in righteousness, to make us competent and equipped for every good work, this is what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, because the word that has been given to us is complete, and because Jesus is that word of God personified, we have to rely on the scriptures as the final word. The scriptures have to be the plumb line. The scriptures have to be the arbiter of anything we receive that we think is God speaking to us. We have to always ask ourselves, how does this line up with the Bible. The Bible, the scripture, has to be the lamp to our feet and the light to our path, as it says in Psalm 119, verse 105, by which we think, we speak, and we do everything related to life and godliness. So that's the primacy, the, the supremacy of the word of God. Today, we're considering how Jesus' crucifixion was a direct fulfillment of what was declared in that word of God in the past. So what God had declared in the past, Jesus' crucifixion, complete fulfillment of it. And we're going to see what impact does that have on us in the present and for the future. Next week, as we look at Jesus appearing to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we'll consider how the, Lord, how the word of God is revealed to us. And then the week after that, we'll look at Jesus appearing to his disciples and we'll consider how the word of God is instilled in us. It's a progression. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection caused the disciples to first pay attention to the word of God as it is fulfilled. Then Jesus explains and reveals the scriptures. He opens their eyes so that their hearts are transformed. Then Jesus opens their minds and enables them to understand the word so that their lives are transformed. But, I, but that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. This week, Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus' crucifixion is a, is a harrowing event. He doesn't even have the physical strength after having been beaten and you know, crown of thorns and whipped. I mean, he is in a terrible physical state. He doesn't even have the strength to carry the cross, the cross beam as such, to Calvary. And they, Simon the Cyrene is pressed into service in assisting Jesus. And Jesus hangs on the cross for hours in excruciating pain. By the way, that word comes from the Latin crucis, cross, which that's how we even think of excruciating pain. It's pain on the cross. It's that suffering that Jesus endures. 
And he's going through this pain and suffering in a very slow death that was supposed to come through asphyxiation. You, were, you would essentially choke to death. You couldn't even breathe as you were there on the cross. And then, as I've mentioned before, the soldiers would come along and break the legs of these people that were on the cross, on these crosses, so that they couldn't push up to breathe even. In Jesus' case, we don't see that happening because he heals the spirit or he, you know, he commits his spirit to the Lord and they don't even break his bones and we'll get to that. But he is, he is suffering physically on the cross. And then spiritually, he's bearing the sin of the whole world. He is reconciling us, as Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says. He is restoring us to God by offering himself up on that Passover as the ultimate perfect sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus is suffering in every way. Jesus' death on the cross is literally the crux. Again, that word that comes from cross. It is the crux of Christianity. Without Jesus' crucifixion, there is no Christianity. That's an incredible statement, but that's something we have to keep coming back to. Without Jesus going to the cross on behalf of us, on behalf of our sins, on behalf of the fulfillment of God's word, there is no Christianity. We can't stand here and sit here and say, oh, well, Jesus had some good sayings, good moral teachings. You know, let's uh, try to adhere to that. Or we can't say oh, the Bible has some, you know, some good proverbs. Let's adhere to that. No, no, no. If Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, if Jesus hadn't done what he did, as Paul says, all this is in vain. You know, if he hadn't lived, died, buried, been buried and then resurrected, none of this has meaning. But praise God that we have what Jesus did for us on the cross. So as we look at that, why focus on the word of God when considering Jesus' crucifixion? Because even from the cross, in the midst of this agony, physical, spiritual, I mean just Jesus is declaring the word of God. It was that important to him. That even on the cross, I mean, it seems like he may have been silent for long periods of time, but when he did speak from the cross, he is declaring the word of God. And so this is important for us. We want to pay attention to it. Because Jesus' crucifixion was a direct fulfillment of the word of God from the past. What Jesus was doing on the cross was a direct fulfillment of what had been spoken centuries before. And so when we consider what he said from the cross, there are seven sayings or words of Jesus from the cross that are recorded in the four gospels. And, you know, typically on Good Friday, there's sermons on the seven sayings from the cross and all these kinds of things. And people, you know, pay attention to that. And I'll just list them out and I want to draw your attention to a few of these things. But, I, but, but through the four Gospels, we see these seven things that Jesus said. So number one, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, what we just read, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
even as Manju was sharing earlier, you know, compassion of Jesus. He's on the cross, and his compassion is for the people who have crucified. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Number two, Luke chapter 23, verse 43. He is speaking to the thief on the cross beside him, and he says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Number three, from not from Luke, but from Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, and in Mark chapter 15, verse 34, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it's actually a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. And we'll get to that. Number four, in John chapter 19, verse 26 through 27, Jesus looks at Mary, his mother, and John, the disciple, and he says, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he says, here is your mother. And the Bible says that from that time, the disciple John took care of Mary. Number five, John chapter 19, verse 28. It says, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And they brought to him a little thing, and he tasted it, and then he puts it on our side, and then soon after that, in John chapter 19, verse 30, alluding really to Isaiah chapter 53, he says, it is finished. Now, John chapter 19, verses 36 through 37, give a couple of st statements about this. It's not what Jesus said, but it says in John chapter 19, 36 and 37, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And that's an allusion or reference to Exodus 12, 46 about the Passover lamb, to Numbers 9, 12 about the fact that you don't break the bones of the lamb, Passover lamb. And in Psalm 34, verse 20, that speaks again about the bones not being broken. And then in continuing John chapter 19, verse 36, 37, it says, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And that's coming from Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. Scripture after scripture after scripture, and the gospel writers are saying, this is being fulfilled, this is being fulfilled, this is being fulfilled. And then that seventh statement, what we read here in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last. And even that statement sounds like, you know, just, okay, you know, he passed away. But no, that's actually directly from Psalm 31, verse 5. So it's very clear that Jesus' words from the cross were meant to draw attention to the prophetic words of God that were now being fulfilled in great detail. Even as you hear Jesus say, it is finished, consider Isaiah 53, where each of the messianic phrases that Isaiah uses in this chapter are fulfilled in Jesus. Just, so just listen to Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering 
and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid, hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, taking the wrath of God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, in fact, in judgment or injustice, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Oh. Doesn't that just thrill you? Hundreds of years before Jesus went to the cross, Isaiah is writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when he says, it is finished, he's saying, oh, you know, all these things you've been reading about, all this stuff that you've been seeing and you've been hearing as prophecy, it is done. It's completed. He's not just saying, oh, you know, my strength is gone. It's finished. Oh, I'm, I'm done. He's not doing that. He's saying, no, every prophecy is being fulfilled. It's finished. It's done. Now, keep in mind that when Jesus declares these words from the cross to show that the scriptures are being fulfilled, he doesn't have a chapter and verse to refer to, right? The chapter and verse designations that we have today were actually put together in the 17th century as a convenient way to refer to the scriptures. So, it, and, it, and it definitely makes it easier for us, right? But it also causes us sometimes to read only one verse or to read only one small portion or to take a verse out of context or to miss the broader message. In Jesus' time, people would typically declare the opening line of a passage or a book and the hearers would know to refer to that whole passage or to refer to that whole book. So when he says these things about it is finished or this is the fulfillment or whatever it may be, they, can, they, they are referring. That's why I read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. There's more you can read around it and other scriptures, but to read that whole thing, to understand, oh, this is, this is a broad thing that he's communicating. He's just saying one phrase, but it's part of something much bigger. And so when, when Jesus is speaking this way, the people, the hearers, many of whom 
most of whom maybe would have memorized these scriptures. They didn't have printed books like we did, or like we do, you know, they didn't have tablets. They, they, they had to memorize these things. And so when he says something, they are reminded of that whole passage of scripture. They pay attention to it. They look to it. And so when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, from Psalm 22, 1. It's not because he's despairing of life. And it's not because God has somehow abandoned him. It's because Jesus is actually saying, read Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me for trouble is near me and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, somebody standing there and saying, oh, 
Oh, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. That my God has done all this. And these, this psalm is written even before Isaiah. Now this is, you know, was speaking about casting lots for his clothing. The psalmist never experienced all this. This is a dual prophecy. This is the prophetic word of God coming through the psalmist, where in a way that the psalmist couldn't even have understood. Remember, looking at my bones and mocking me and, you know, casting lots for my clothing. But here it is, fulfilled with Jesus on the cross. And all that prophecy being fulfilled on Calvary, Jesus' crucifixion, was exactly according to the plan of God that he had communicated in detail in the past. And in the present, Jesus' crucifixion points to the power of God completely, entirely. See, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32 to 33, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. It is this illusion that Jesus, you know, what Jesus speaks, it is this illusion to Jesus' crucifixion that John is referring to in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, when he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on that cross that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. And then we know this famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You know why John 3.16 is powerful? Because Jesus went to the cross. Because he was lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and all those who looked to that were saved, when Jesus is lifted up, he says, when you look to me, and I will draw all men unto me. I will save you. You'll be saved from your sin. You'll be set free. Oh, because of the cross, we can proclaim repentance. Because of the cross, we can proclaim forgiveness of sin. Because of the cross, we can be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You know, today, if you're listening, if you're sitting here, if, you know, in, if in any way, you know the word of God or you've heard the word of God or someone has shared the word of God with you to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who does, you know, who can save you from your sin. And you have fought that. You have resisted it. You have been reluctant to say, Jesus, I accept, I believe, I receive. Well, I tell you this morning, don't let it be any longer. Don't, don't wait. You know, Jesus was crucified on that cross more than 2,000 years ago. But there's no need to wait for another year, for another 10 years, for another period of time. 
Today can be the day where you say, Lord, because you were lifted up on that cross, because you gave your life, because you died for my sake, I can believe, I can receive, and I can accept, and I can be saved from my sin. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Let today be a day of salvation. Because, you know, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Psalm 31, and all these other scriptures, they're all pointing to Jesus' death. But they're all pointing to Jesus' life in us. And therefore, how we can live in the present. What Jesus did for us in the past becomes real for us in the present. We can live. We are able to be redeemed. We can be forgiven. We have peace. We, are, we have healing. We have deliverance. We can praise. We can worship. We can give thanks. We can be joyful. The word of God is present continuous. It's not just what the word of God was from the past. Oh, the word of God is present continuous for us today. We benefit. We are set free. We have this opportunity to worship God. Oh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's not just the word that was given in the past. It's living right now. It's active right now. Right now. I've said this, you know, in the past. You take a medication of some kind or anything, and it'll say on the, on the, on the container, active ingredients. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there that's not good for you or not necessary, or maybe it's sugar to make it taste better. But there's an active ingredient in that little pill that has to be there to have some effect. The word of God is living and it is active. Oh, it's changing us. It's transforming us. It's at work in us. You take the word of God in as food, as water, as nourishment to your soul and to your spirit. Oh, it's, it's active. It's doing something. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the soul or to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and, in, and intentions of the heart. How can we live our lives today victoriously? You know, free from the entanglement of sin, free from being slaves to sin and instead to willingly be slaves of Christ. How can we do all that? It's only if the word of God is having that living and active work in us in the present. Praise the name of Jesus. And then because of that, because of Jesus' crucifixion that is spoken and is addressed from the past, because of what Jesus has done in the present, because of what he did on the cross that speaks to us in the present, Jesus' crucifixion assures us that God's word will be fulfilled in the future. He will fulfill his word. He will keep his promise. Oh, hallelujah. What has the Lord told you about your life, about your future?
because you know when I said that at the very end of his of his you know of this period of this time on the cross the last word that he says is into your hands I commit my spirit and it sounds like a nice way to say okay I'm dying no no he's quoting from scripture right he's quoting from Psalm 31 and again Jesus is saying read Psalm 31 in you Lord I have taken refuge let me never be put to shame deliver me in your righteousness Turn your ear to me, come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul with, and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. What is troubling you about your future or your children's future or the nation's future? Are you worried about your marriage? your job, your health. Be strong and take heart. Put your hope in the Lord. He has a plan. He has spoken his word. It has been fulfilled in the past. It is being fulfilled in the present and it will be fulfilled in the future. You can be in peace. Not because you don't have troubles and not because you are free from suffering but because you know who he is and what he has done for you. When you face trouble, 
you can say, my times are in your hands. When you're attacked, you can say, in the shelter of your presence, in your hiding place, this is what we were praying about the other day, the other night, in your hiding place, in your, in the shelter of your presence, you hide me from all human intrigues. When you face death, you can say, Lord, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, we can't help but respond to such a loving God, to such a compassionate God, to such a God who has done all, has given everything, everything for our sakes. And we say, oh Lord God, we accept, we receive. We, we, Lord, receive the benefit of the fulfilled word of God. We receive it. And we accept, Lord, your salvation. We accept your sacrifice. We are saved. We are set free. We are delivered. And Lord, we apply. We live in hope. We live in the present, not looking to the past. We acknowledge what the Lord has done. We receive what he has done. But we live in the present, victorious, disciplined, diligent, persevering, having victory over sin and over all the things that would come, resisting the devil so that he flees from us, standing secure and strong. We live in the present as the children of God and we live in the present with hope for the future, eager expectation, anticipation of what the Lord will do in your life, in the lives of your family, in your circumstances. What has the Lord spoken to you? Maybe he spoke to you 10 years ago. Maybe he spoke to you 10 months ago. Maybe he spoke to you 10 minutes ago. But he's got a word for you. He's speaking to you. He'll take care of who you should be married to, what job you should have, where you should live, what you should do, how you should manage. He, he's got a plan. Will you put your hope Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus went to the cross, we have certainty about the past, about the present, and about the future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. That you are good to us. That your word is so, so complete for us. We revel in your word. We love it. We eat it. Oh, Lord God, it is as honey for our lips. Lord God, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that your word gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. And in receiving it, Lord, we press into you. We press into you. We ask you, Lord, to let this word and this reminder of what you declared from the cross even, to cause us to always look to your word. We pray that this would now, Lord, guide and direct our steps in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.